God, would you prepare our hearts this morning to accept your word. Silence in us any voice but your own, that hearing we may also obey your will through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to the the Gospel of John, John chapter 1. If you're using a pew Bible this morning, that's page 886. 886. In 2017, one of our former church members who is now with the Lord, Joan Sayers, wrote a little children's book. Maybe some of you have read it. It's called Stuart the Stork. I won't read the story for you this morning. Uh, We did that story time last week. But she writes about a stork who had been raised with pelicans. Uh, His whole life he was raised with pelicans and around pelicans. And Stuart the stork wondered why he couldn't do the same things as the others, the other birds. Why he looked different than the other birds. After several well-meaning but confusing conversations, uh, Stuart's mother uh, explained the simple but obvious truth that he was really a stork. He wasn't a pelican at all. Uh, The lighthearted story reminds us of many things, but one is that uh, we can be confused uh, and and in our confusion, uh, not know who we are. And when we don't know who we are, that leads to problems. Uh, Your identity, knowing your identity matters. Uh, We are living at a time in our culture, in our society, when there is great confusion about identity. Great confusion about who we are. We're living in what is sometimes called a postmodern world. And the thinking goes that, that, that if, if you think it's true, then it's true for you. It might not be true for someone else, but it can be true for you that, that your perception is reality, or so they say. But actually, in real life, where we all should be living, Uh, just because we think something is true does not make it true. Just because I feel something doesn't mean that that it's really something. We need to know the truth. We need to know who we are. Some of us have lived much of our lives not knowing who we are. And I wonder this morning, do do you know who you are? Stuart, the stork, didn't know who he was. Do you know who you are? Do you know your identity? For some here today, you're believing things about yourself that are not true. They're not true. And yet you're, you're believing them to be true. You may have been told something. You may have been told a lie. But you're believing it. Some today are finding identity in temporal things. You're finding your identity in being a husband or being a wife or being an American or being a Michigander or being whatever your occupation might be. Good things, they're fine things, but what happens when they're gone? Who are you 
Who are you after you retire from your job? Who are you when your spouse dies? Who are you when you you no longer live in Michigan or whatever the identity might be? Who are you? Others find their identity in what other people say about them. People tell me I'm this or tell me I'm that. Some some is positive, right? You're a hard worker. You're a go-getter. You're smart. You're attractive. Whatever the thing is, we, we find our identity there. Some of us have found our identity in the negatives. People have told us that, that we are worthless or, or we're no good or we're unacceptable or we're less than or we're unworthy. And some of us have believed that. And that's become part of our identity. Who we think we are informs how we live. So it's really important that we know who we are. The good news is that the one who made us, the one who knows us best, has actually told us who we are. One writer named Jeff Vanderstelt has written, we are who we are because of who he is, that's God, and what he has done. Because we are made by God, then, our identity is wrapped up in God. So as we enter a new year, this morning we want to affirm or reaffirm what God says about our identity in Christ. And what does he say? Well, before we get to exactly what he says about our identity in Christ, I think it's important to to make this statement. No matter who you are this morning, within the sound of my voice, you can know this, that you are made in the image of God, and therefore, you have inherent value and worth. You don't have to believe what I believe for that to be true. You don't have to be a Christian for that to be true. That is true. And it's true because, not because I say it's true, it's, be true, it's true because of the creator. And in Genesis chapter one, God says this, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Verse 27 says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now there's lots of things we could say about those verses this morning, but the one we want to say is this, is that God made you, and he made you in his image. And this is a life-defining truth. We are made by God and in his image so that we can show or display or reflect who God is. God didn't make you in his image just for fun. He didn't make you in his image just because he's egotistical. He did it so that we would represent him on this earth. We would image him on the earth. An image portrays something. It pictures something, something that is real. And we are made by God. We are made for God and we are made to image God. In the Latin, this is called the imago dei, that we are stamped with it, that we carry in us the image of God. We carry it with us. We carry it in us. And this is true of every human being. It is not dependent on our goodness. You're not made in the image of God because you're good. 
You're not not made in the image of God because you're bad. No, you're made in the image of God because the creator of all made you. Therefore, you have value. You have worth. So if you hear nothing else this morning, hear this. You are made in the image of God and you matter. You matter. What does God say about us? What does he say about our identity? He says that we matter. Why? Because he made us. And the creator of something is the one who determines what matters. And he says we matter. But more specifically, for the Christian, we want to ask this morning, what is our identity in Christ? Now, the Bible talks about us in two different ways, people in two different ways. In Christ and in Adam. We are all in Adam to begin, meaning we are all born into this world, human. We are all born sinners. Adam was a sinner. We are all born in Adam. But some of us come to Christ who are then born into Christ or born in Christ or united with Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22 says that in Christ all, shall, all will be made alive, but in Adam all die. So this morning as we sit here, there are some of you who are, who, are, who are in Adam and some of you who are in Christ. And what I'm about to talk about today are for those who are in Christ. Now you might say, well, I, I, I want whatever you're gonna, about to say. Yes, you're going to want whatever I'm about to say to be true for you. And there's a way for that to be true for you. You don't have to stay in Adam. It's true, in Adam all died. But because Christ has come, he undid what the first Adam did. The first Adam, through the first Adam, sin came into the world. And through the second Adam, that's Jesus, he came to do what the first Adam could not do and live the perfect life and fulfill the law of God and so provide the righteous sacrifice for sin that you and I so desperately need. So you, you don't have to be an Adam this morning. You can come to Christ today too. You can come to Christ this morning in repentance and faith. And know the joy of what it means to be in Christ of all the things we're about to talk about this morning. Author Neil T. Anderson has developed a list that he calls Who I Am in Christ. And I'm going to read it for you this morning. And there are 33 statements. And they're short, don't worry. And they're all taken from Scripture. I'm not going to read the Scriptures this morning. I'm not going to read the, the references this morning. That list is on the resource table in the foyer. But what I would like for you to do is to take note of what statement or what truth speaks to you most this morning. So listen as I read. Who I am in Christ. I am God's child. I am Christ's friend. I have been justified. I have been united with the Lord. And I am one, I am one spirit with him. I have been bought with a price. I belong to God. I am a member of Christ's body. I am a saint, a holy one. I have been adopted as God's child. I have direct access to God through the Holy Spirit. I have been forgiven of all my sins. I am complete in Christ. Who I am in Christ. I am free from condemnation. I am assured that all things work together for good. 
I am free from all condemning charges against me. I cannot be separated from the love of God. I have been established, anointed, and sealed by God. I am confident that the good work God has begun in me will be perfected. I'm a citizen of heaven. I am hidden with Christ in God. I have been given. I have not been given the spirit of fear, but of power and love and of self-control. I can find grace and mercy to help in time of need. I am born of God, and the evil one cannot touch me, who I am in Christ. I am the salt of the earth and the light of the world. I am a branch. I am a branch of the true vine, Jesus. I have been chosen and appointed by God to bear fruit. I am a personal, spirit-empowered witness of Christ. I am a temple of God. I am a minister of reconciliation for God. I am a fellow worker with God. I am seated with Christ in heavenly realms. I am God's workmanship created for good works. I may approach God with freedom and confidence, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Neil Anderson goes on to write this, I am not the great I am, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. This list, all 33 of them are true for you if you were in Christ this morning. All of them. All of them inform you this morning. They inform who you are. They inform how you are to think about yourself. And and as you heard those statements read, that the truths that jumped out to you most, there should have been some. They may have jumped out to you most because those were the very things you're struggling to believe this morning. And if that's true for you this morning, I, I would just invite you to pick up the list and read the list again, and look up the scriptures again, and be affirmed again of what God says about you. That in Christ you are accepted. In Christ you are secure. In Christ you are significant. For our time this morning, we'll not go through each statement, but I would like to briefly draw your attention to just two. What does God say about me? That in Christ, I am God's child. In John chapter 1, it's page 886, John says this beginning in verse 11. He's writing about Jesus here. He says, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Now we first should note that what John says here is that we become children of God. To become a child of God means that you weren't always a child of God. I meet people who say that they've always been a Christian when you ask them about their faith. Well, well, I've always believed. Now, I might know what you mean by that, but that's not true. 
right? You know that's not true. You haven't always believed. Now, you might not be able to remember because you were very young. Okay, understood. But it is, it is biblically inaccurate, theologically wrong to say that you've always believed. You've not always believed. You've not always been a child of God. Why? Because we become a child of God. How do we become a child of God? Verse 13. How are the children of God made? They're born. How? Not of blood. It's not natural. It's not just because you were raised in a Christian home that you you automatically become a Christian. Most of us have lived long enough to to recognize that just because mom and dad are Christian doesn't mean that the kids are Christians. So it's, it's not of natural descent. We're not born physically. What's the next one? Not born of the will of the flesh. It's not a human decision. It's not, not a human desire that makes us a child of God. And thirdly, nor of the will of man. It's, it's not a, a human will or a human power that makes you a Christian makes you a child of God. That's not how it works. Christianity is a very different religion than other religions. Christianity is an inside-out religion. There are a lot of people who can decide, I'm going to be Buddhist. They just intellectually decide they're going to believe the tenets of Buddhism. Christianity is not like that. Christianity is not something that, that I believe outwardly to get me in. No, Christianity is something that has to change on the inside. So I'm not born of, of just my power or even my, my desire and certainly not of nature. So how then do I become a child? What does he say? Not all those ways, but born of what? Born of God. How does someone become a child of God? They must be born of God. Just a couple chapters later in John chapter 3, Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. When Jesus says he must be born of water and the Spirit, he's talking about a spiritual birth. The only way you become a child of God is by a spiritual birth that God produces. We are born of God. It's a gift of God, given by God, initiated here by the Spirit. It's God's work. John like, or Paul likens this to, to adoption in Romans chapter 8. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, and heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. And in chapter chapter 1 of Ephesians, Paul says this, Even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, what did he do? He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. What is all this telling us? It's telling us that it's the work of God. It is the work of God that you become a child of God. God is at work here. 
1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says that he causes us or caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This new life, this regeneration is the work of God. This spiritual birth is not something that I manufacture. It's not something that you manufacture. It is the work of God through the spirit of God. God moves. Do you have to respond? Yes, you have to respond. You must believe. What does Jesus say? Repent and believe the gospel. You must repent and believe the gospel. But how do you repent and believe the gospel? How does someone who is spiritually dead repent and believe the gospel? God has to open your eyes that you would see that you're dead. How would you manufacture faith? You don't have faith, not this kind of faith. How do you get the faith? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 tell us that by grace you are saved through faith. And it's the gift of God. The whole thing. The salvation, the grace, the faith, it's all a gift. God moves first. The way we become a child of God is by being born of God. This is an act of God, and it's all by grace. It's all by grace. Well, what does it then mean to be a child of God? That's how we become a child of God. What does it mean to be a child of God? It means that God is your father. It means that God is your spiritual, heavenly Father. This God who knows all things, who is perfect, who is kind, who is compassionate, who is able, is your Father. And you can go to him and find mercy and grace in time of need. It means that Christ is your brother, according to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11. It means that we now belong to God. We're part of the family. It means that because we're part of the family, we have access to God through the Spirit. It means that we can't be separated from his love. Once we're part of the family, you don't get out of the family. There's no way out. <laughs> That's a good thing. He knows those who are, who are his. He holds us in his hands. He keeps us. Until the day of redemption. 1 John chapter 5 verse 18 tells us that if, if, if we're born of God, then the evil one cannot touch us. If you're a child of God, the evil one cannot touch you. Not without, that, not without God, God's permission. Right? We think of Job. The evil one can't steal your faith. The evil one can oppress if God permits. Absolutely. But he can't do what he wants to do, and that is to destroy you spiritually. Being a child of God means we're accepted in Christ. We all want acceptance. Even the rebel, they want acceptance. They want acceptance from somebody. Most of us want acceptance from friends, from family, from the world. But ultimately, what we all really long for is to know that God accepts us. To know that we're all right with God. To, to know that we have peace with God. And for those who are in Christ, here's what you can know. You've been brought in. You've been brought in. You were outside. You were an enemy. You were hostile towards God. And in Christ, you have been brought in. Out of the storm. Out of the wrath. You've been brought in. 
we've been reconciled to God. How? Through Christ. God sees you as his child. Not as a sinner, but as a saint. Do you know that this morning? God doesn't see you as a sinner. He sees you as a saint. You may say, well, I am a sinner. Yes, you are. And so am I. And does God know that you're a sinner? Yes, God knows that you're a sinner. But in justification, you are declared righteous. And because of the righteousness of Christ that covers us, God doesn't see us in our sin anymore. If he did, we could not be accepted. So therefore, he sees you as a saint. He sees you as his, his child. What an amazing way to view yourself. Instead of viewing myself from, from my perspective, what if we viewed ourselves from God's perspective? To know that you're his child, to know that you're loved, that you're accepted. That because of the righteousness of Christ, God no longer sees you as a sinner, but a saint. In Christ, I am a child of God, and this will never change. No matter what comes in 2023. Listen, we've had some pretty rough years the past couple years. Some of you have had it worse than others. No matter what comes in this year, this will not change. It will not change. Lots of things change. This will not change. But that's not all that God says about us. God says that in Christ, secondly, I am Christ's friend. I am a friend of Jesus. In the Old Testament, there are two people who are called a friend of God. Abraham and Moses. And that's it. Pretty short list. But in the New Testament, John chapter 15, Jesus says this. This is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this. That someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. That's what Jesus is saying. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that you have heard from my father I have made known to you. Friends. Philos is the word here, which is where we would get our word Philadelphia or this this word for brotherly love. To be a friend means to be loved or beloved or have affection for. When James talks about Abraham being the, the friend of God, we know that James is contrasting this idea of friendship with God with friendship from the world. So how is Abraham the friend of God? Well, in contrast to the the, the friend of the world who who obeys the world, Abraham believed God. and It was accounted to him for righteousness. Here in John 15, how are we friends? If we do what Jesus commands. Right? And sinners were at odds with God. And now here we're, we're, we're friends with God. This is an amazing thing to consider. That Jesus is calling those who follow him his friends with the condition that we do what, what, if we do what he commands us. And what does he command us? Well, there's many things that he commands us. But we could boil it down to say this. He calls us to trust him, to repent and believe, and to obey him. To do what he told us to do. The friend of God. The friend of Jesus. Clearly not everyone is Christ's friend. Only those who are in Christ. So what does it mean to be Christ's friend? It means that you have the benefits 
of Christ. You, you, you are joint heirs with Christ. That as the Father looks upon Christ, he looks upon you. Again, after all, he's seeing you through Christ. That as the friend of God, God smiles on you. He is pleased with you. Not because you're great, but because you're hidden with Christ. That God is for you and not against you. For some of us, we lived our life fearing that the God is going to somehow strike us down. You're a Christian and you're worried that the God's going to get you. What, what if you understood that, that there's no condemnation any longer for you? What if you understood that, that God loves you and that he's smiling upon you? What if you understood that God wants good for you and not evil? That God's not out to get you. He's with you. He's for you. That's not an invitation to live whatever kind of life you want to live. It's an invitation to say, man, if God loves me that much, how much more do I want to live my life for him? These truths are life-defining. You are a child of God. You are a friend of Jesus. And we are who we are, again, Vanderstelt says, because of who he is and what he has done. Here's what you can know about your identity with Jesus this morning. Your identity in Jesus this morning. We are God's children and we are Christ's friend because while we were still sinners, Christ laid down his life. He died for us, demonstrating God's love for us. And those who believe on Jesus therefore receive his salvation and are born of God and united with Christ. This is the new identity that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. That the old things have passed away and the new has come. He is a new creation. Anyone who is in Christ, he is a new creation. He's a new creation because of what God has done. Because you've been born into a new reality. And so as we come to the table, we see again this one who bled and died that we might become children of God. That you might be a friend of Jesus. What would your life look like this week if you operated out of that identity? That you are a child of the one true and living God. And that you are friends with Jesus. If you are a child of God and have repented and believed on Jesus by faith alone and are walking in obedience, we invite you to join us as we give thanks to Christ for his work on our behalf. But if you're with us this morning and you've not come to Christ yet, if you're still, as we would say, in Adam, or if you are living in unrepentant sin, if there's sin in your life, you know it, and you refuse to repent of it, we're asking you to abstain from communion this morning. Don't take it. Not upon my heeding, but the very words of God tell us that to take of the body and the bread in an unworthy manner is a dangerous thing to do. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, some got sick and some even died. 
It's a sober warning. So instead of taking these elements that, that represent the body and blood of Jesus, we invite you to receive Jesus himself. Receive the forgiveness that he offers for anyone who would repent and believe. Receive the eternal life that you can know that starts now and lasts forever. Before we go any further this morning, we would do well to pause before the Lord, asking him to search our hearts and lead us into repentance. Would you take the next few moments and search your heart, ask God to search your heart as we prepare to receive communion. God, it's true that there are sins of commission, sins we do on purpose. And there are sins of omission, things that we don't do that we should do. There are sins that uh, we may be very aware of and sins that we may not be very aware of. So in these moments now, God, I pray for your forgiveness. I pray that you would forgive us even now as we may specifically be thinking of things. God, maybe there's things that we weren't aware of right now. pray that you would make us aware. And we pray that you would forgive us. We're thankful for the confidence of your forgiveness. From 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And all that is made possible because Jesus has died on the cross for those sins already. The price has already been paid. It requires no other price, and we give thanks for that, God. And yet we call upon it now, pleading upon the, the grace and blood of Jesus to cleanse us now. Forgive us, we pray. Uh -huh.